Well, good morning. My name is David, and every once in a while I get to bring the word with y'all, and uh, today is one of those mornings, so I am excited. It feels like spring out. Who is grateful? It is happening. Oh. We are a grateful bunch here in Minnesota because we know the pain of the darkness at 4 p.m. And uh, the light is coming. And so we are uh, in the midst of this series called Listen Up. And the basis of this series is based on the belief that God longs for a dialogue with us, that a relationship with God is not just a monologue. It's not just us talking to God, but that God actually wants a back and forth And this back and forth I've heard is called communication. Now, I have a complicated relationship with communication. And the the reason I do is because, like some other I've heard, uh, teenage boys, when I was a teenage boy, I wasn't super interested in communicating with my parents. I like... I didn't think it was necessary, and I remember my sisters who are older than me, they they came to me and they wanted to have a heart-to-heart with me. They said, David, you know, if you ever want to find a girl that will be interested in you, you're going to have to learn how to, like, communicate. (laughs) And my response to her, which they still remind me of today, was, you know, if that's the only thing I'm not good at, she's going to be lucky to have me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just saying... I've been married 15 years, and uh, (laughs) okay, so before we dive too deep into the message, though, I have a little public service announcement, and it is specifically for our podrishners, and if you are not aware, we have a community of thousands of people that are a part of Woodland Hills, but they're a part of Woodland Hills from a distance, and my first exposure to podrishners was when I was one, but it was before podcasts existed. Now, when I was in seminary in 2004, it's the first time I heard a sermon series at Woodland Hills because my sister sent me these, um, these circular things. They're called CDs. And she sent them to me, and it was this series that uh, I'd never heard this series, and I'd never been to, this, uh, to a whole series at Woodland Hills before. And the title of this series was called The Cross and the Sword. And for those of you that have been around here a while, you know that that series defined so much of how we understand the kingdom of God here at Woodland Hills, and it was so annoying to me. I remember listening to it thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to mess with all my perceptions of who God is and what the world is and how I'm supposed to live in the world, and can't I just be a Republican and believe that God agrees with everything I think? Like, all these things that I thought were true. (laughs) We love you, Padrishners. But we are a part of this community that is not just in this room, but is around the globe that is being shaped by this Jesus-looking God. And so we love you, Padrishners. I wanted to share a quote from one of our Padrishners named Doug. Here's what he says. Over the past year, I've come to know the Jesus-looking God preached at Woodland Hills. In fact, I recently rededicated myself to God and for the first time in my life was able to say, I love you, Jesus. Oh, 
I'm experiencing my faith beyond rituals and religion in a way I never even knew was possible. And we get testimony after testimony from our Podrishner community. And it's at this time of the year that we also invite our Podrishners to be a part of our community, not just by listening in, but by contributing. And so every year we do this sustain campaign. And our goal is to have 400 Podrishners who are sustaining us by giving regular donations on a consistent basis. And so we are currently in the midst of this sustained campaign, and we have already had 266 Podrishners sign up to be contributing on a regular basis. Isn't that amazing? So we want to say thank you to our Podrishners. We also want to, in the language of this series, implore you to listen up. And if God is encouraging you and speaking to you and guiding you to contribute financially with us as a community, we would be so grateful. So we love you, Podrishners, and uh, join the Sustained Campaign if you're able to. All right. End of public service announcement. So where we've been in this series is that last week, Greg went off script, which... If you are set up to be preaching after somebody, assuming they're going to preach on something, when they go off script, it's, a, it's really delightful. And, <laughs> and, and so, but what I also need to recognize for myself, and I think it's a, something that we all need to notice sometimes, is that sometimes we need a pattern interrupt in our life to actually ask the question, am I listening? Am I paying attention or am I just so locked into the path of how we do it that we miss the voice of God that might be wanting to redirect something for us? So thanks, Greg. (laughs) So Greg reminded us that there is a danger in living in the world's normal. Where we, where we miss the fact that we are in this Where's Waldo world and we forget that there are all these distractions in the world. And so he implored us to remember the base note. And to know that the first step in walking in a kingdom new normal is making room for God's voice in our life. That is the first step toward xenophilia, the love of the stranger. And then the week before that, Oshita reminded us that God is more often than not, not in the spectacular. That more often than not, God is in the simple things. God is in the small things. He's in the still, small voice of sheer silence. And so the fundamental conviction that we have here is not so much that God is, but while we believe God is, but that God still speaks. That the universe is not a closed system. That God is still breaking in in the way that he did in Scripture we saw 2,000 years ago, but that he's not done talking. Amen? That God is still going to speak and our job, which is the title of the sermon, is to tune in. So how do we tune in to the voice of God in our lives? And if God is still speaking, I think one of the most fundamental questions for us as followers of Jesus is, how do I hear? How do I hear? Because we are in a culture that more than any time in history has been attuned to our uniqueness. The unique ways that all of us are created. I mean, you all know that you are a precious individual snowflake, do you not? I mean, you know it. We, 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 we have never before had more information about ourselves. 
I mean, I know my Myers-Briggs. I know my strengths finders. I know my Enneagram number. I'm very familiar with my spiritual gifts. I, I am aware of my, all five of my strengths. I know my temperament. I mean, I, I, are there any ISTJs in the room? We are a strange bunch. Strange but powerful. And so, in addition to all these unique ways that we know ourselves and the personalities that we have, we also are walking in this world with all the baggage we received from growing up, from the culture we live in in the United States. And, and, and if we are all created uniquely in the image of God and we all are experiencing life in this unique setting in culture and in time, I think it goes to show that there is also an aspect of how God speaks that is going to be unique for each of us. That it's not just a one-size-fits-all. But it also means there's a lot of layers for God's voice to get through. Layers of our culture, layers of our personality, layers of our assumptions, layers of our ignorances, layers of our biases. And you add to that the incessant noise that we live in all the time. Uh, There's a man named Bernie Krause who is a musician and a soundscape ecologist. That's like a real job. I don't know what it is, but uh, the, the basic idea of the work that he did for decades was he would record sounds in nature. So he would record like sounds of birds chirping or animals or the like rustling of wind through the trees. And, and in 1968, if he wanted to get one hour of uninterrupted sound in nature without any man-made influences, to get one hour of sound, he needed to record for 15 hours in 1968. And when he did this same work and he came out with an article talking about it in 2013, if he wanted to get one hour of uninterrupted sound in nature that isn't influenced by man-made sounds, he needed to record for 2,000 hours. So from 1968 to 2013, the requirement that it took to get one hour of uninterrupted sound went up by, I don't know how much, but it's a lot. From 15 to 1 to 2,000 to 1. I think there is more to compete with than ever for us to hear God's voice. Dallas Willard said that generally speaking, God will not compete to get our attention. And if that is true, then we've got our work cut out for us. This culture does not make it easy for us to hear the voice of God. And so to dive into this question today, we're going to look at the story of a young man in Scripture who needed to learn how to hear the voice of God. So if you have your Bible or you want to turn, uh, pull it up on your phone uh, or we're going to have it on the screen, uh, we're going to look at the story of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So here's how it starts. Now the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, a little bit of background on this story. So Eli is the priest, and he is in what at that time would have been the tabernacle because the temple had not yet been built by Solomon. And so Eli is the priest in the tabernacle, and Samuel's mom is a woman named Hannah. And Hannah, for most of her life, was struggling with infertility. 
She longed to have a child, and she couldn't. And so there was a day that she was at this tabernacle, and she was praying to God that, God, would you please give me a son? And God grants her prayer, and she's, uh, but when she prays this, she does what many of us do when we're desperate. We say, God, if you give this to me, I will, I'll do anything. I'll promise you anything that you could possibly want. And so she promises God that if you give me the son, then I will give him back to you to minister with and to the people of God at the tabernacle. And so when Samuel is old enough to come to the tabernacle and to be with Eli, she brings Samuel and now he lives with Eli. And what's interesting too is that we, from the beginning, the Hebrew is actually trying to hint at what we're going to learn in the story of Samuel because Samuel's name literally means one who hears God. So if we're wondering what's going to happen in this story, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days and now one who hears God has shown up. So something is going to happen to reverse the fortunes of the people of Israel. But Samuel, like us, is going to have the task of trying to hear God in the midst of a culture that is not going to make it easy for him. Because in the time of Samuel, there was some political chaos. The leaders at the time had lost sight of what was important. The moral compass of the day was anything but the norm. During the time of the judges, scripture says that people just did whatever they wanted, what was right in their own eyes. And the religious leaders at the time were corrupt. That that those who were supposed to be serving God were using their holy places to cover up their unholy ambitions. So we have the political world that is a little... uh, The moral compass seems to be shifting in ways that we didn't know could. And we have some religious leaders that are corrupt. If only the Bible could speak into our own cultural moment. (laughs) Uh, But before we even dive deeply into that, I think we need to pause and recognize that when the text says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, I think some of us can resonate with that in really, really deep and profound ways. Have you ever felt like the word of the Lord is rare for you? Have you called out and you feel like you're just calling out to air? I know I have. Have you ever felt like God is never going to answer? Have you ever experienced radio silence? You're trying to connect with God and it seems like there's no reception. All you get is static. Thankfully, we're not alone, um, that the, some of the heroes of our faith have experienced that same emptiness at times. What, what, one of the most profound, I think, uh, pictures of this can be seen in some of the journals and letters that, that came out from Mother Teresa after she passed away in a book uh, called Come Be My Light. Uh, I want to share with you one journal entry she wrote. It says this, Lord, my God, who am I that you should forsake me, the child of your love, and now become as the most hated one, the one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved? I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer, no one whom I can cling. No, no one. I'm alone. The darkness is so dark, and I'm alone. 
I'm unwanted, I'm forsaken. The loneliness of the heart that wants love is unbearable. Where is my faith? Even deep down right in, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd in my heart and make me suffer untold agony. When I try and raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and they hurt my very soul. Love, the word, it it brings nothing. I'm told that God loves me and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. If this brings you glory, God, if you get a drop of joy from this, if souls are brought to you, if my suffering satiates your thirst, well, here I am and with joy I accept all to the end of my life and I will smile at your hidden face, always. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wondered where God is? The thing that I want to implore you to hear today is that you are not alone. You have not been forgotten. As Cedric was reminding us that even in the moments where it feels like God is absent, the truth that is deeper than our feeling around that is that the God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you is still there. That even when it feels like there is no possible way out of the darkness, God says, I'm still there whether you feel it or not. And so my prayer for us is that as we do some work this morning talking about how do we hear from God, that when our attempts to hear from God feel like they're falling on deaf ears, that we would be reminded that sometimes following God is about sitting in this ambiguous place in between the duty to follow God and the experience of intimacy with God. And that more often than not, life is about navigating that tension. To remember that it doesn't always look the way we want it to. And so this story of Samuel continues, though, in verse 2. And here's what it says. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. So two quick notes. The first is, it says that Eli's eyesight was going bad. And this is, it's it's a physical eyesight that is going bad. He wasn't seeing as well. But what this is also indicating is that there was a spiritual component where Eli had stopped being able to see the way that he used to be able to see. That he he was losing his authority as a priest. And some of that related to a couple of his sons who were kind of knuckleheads and did not quite know how to follow God in a way that God was hoping they would. And so we've got this transition happening where Eli as the priest and the authority in the house of God is transitioning out. But we also have in these verses a picture of the context within which God called Samuel. Because one of the things that we're going to be looking at today is what are the things and the context within which we can hear God better? Because it's not, uh, it's more often than not, uh, not going to be in like these moments where we're just surrounded by noise that God is going to break through. And so there's something about this unique context where Samuel was still. 
Samuel was silent. Samuel and Eli, they were in their usual place. Is there a usual place you have? He was available to hear God. He had slowed down enough to recognize the voice of God, or at least to hear the voice of God in the midst of the busyness. And it's in this context that then we get what I think is probably one of the cutest stories in Scripture where God calls to Samuel and Samuel jumps up and he runs over to Eli and says, Eli, Eli, I'm here, I'm here, what do you need? And Eli looks at him like an annoyed parent whose kid has come down 40 times to, after they've already put them to bed and he's like, Would, are you serious? Go back to bed. I'm trying to sleep here. And so Samuel goes back to bed and then a few minutes later, God calls him again and says, Samuel, Samuel. And again, Samuel jumps up and he runs over to Eli. And at this point, if he's me as a parent, I mean, he's losing his mind. He's like, I will lock that door on the outside. Like, you will stay in your bed and you will not come down. And if you do, I will take away everything that's dear to you. <laughs> and so we have this moment where I, I can only imagine this little kid. He's like, what, what is happening? Like, I'm trying to be obedient. Eli, he's like, his eyes are bad. He's going to run into something. I'm trying to be helpful and I'm getting punished for it. And, and it's in this moment that we see in verse 7 what's going on. And here's what it says in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So there's something about the voice of God where Samuel was hearing it, but he wasn't familiar with it yet. That it's possible for God to be speaking, but for us to be so unfamiliar with what that might sound and feel like, that we miss it when it comes. Which I think, among many things, means that learning to hear the voice of God is going to require some practice. It's going to require some training. It's going to require us to have some humility to recognize that I'm going to get it wrong. That when we start walking boldly, to proclaim, here is the voice of God, or thus saith the Lord, that maybe when we do it, we might want to do it with a little more humility. To recognize that the infallibility of the messenger and the message does not necessarily guarantee the infallibility of our reception. The infallibility of the messenger and the message does not guarantee our infallibility of reception. And I think what it means is that we as people of God can be the kind of people who pray this prayer. Lord, when we are wrong, make us willing to change. And when we're right, make us easy to live with. Lord, when we're wrong, make us willing to change. And when we are right, make us easy to live with. May we be the kind of people that can deal with that tension of boldly declaring when we hear something from God, but also recognizing that we are infallible. We're going to miss it sometimes. And so what finally happens is that when Samuel goes into Eli for the third time and Eli finally is recognizing, okay, something is going on here, and he realizes that maybe the word of God is coming back. Even though it's been rare in these days, maybe there is a resurgence of it happening. And so Eli coaches Samuel and says, the next time you hear that calling, say something different. And here's what it says in verse 10 that Samuel does. Now the Lord came, and this time he doesn't just speak to Samuel, he stands there. So we have a word and a vision coming together, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. 
Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Now, what is so cool here is that this is the beginning of what for the people of Israel would be the great reversal of the absence of God. That their experience of God as not being present was about to get flipped on its head as the word of God and a vision of God showed up. And you know who it showed up through? A little punk kid. Do you think that the word and the vision of God still today might show up through people we don't expect? Is it possible that we diminish and dismiss the word of God because it shows up in a package we wouldn't think it should? And what I think is also interesting in this is that we see throughout Scripture and particularly in this story that the primary mode of communication that God has for his people is a personal address. Now, where, whereas I, I, I would really prefer if when God showed up, he would show up with like a philosophical discourse or some type of moral commentary or even a theological reflection would work for me. And yet the problem is when God shows up throughout scripture, he shows up and he looks at you and he says your name. He says Samuel. He says David, he says Miriam, he says Hannah, he says Joshua. And I think that there is a danger sometimes that when we start thinking that what God is going to sound like when God shows up is some kind of big abstract religious abstraction or maybe some kind of moral principle and in that attempt to turn God into a theological textbook, we miss the fact that he wants to intimately communicate with you and with me. And he wants to do it in ways that are going to blow our perceptions of how God is going to communicate out of the water. I've, um, I've been just having so much fun uh, with our political system recently. And the, the thing that I've noticed in watching these debates uh, for who's going to be our next president is that there are all these qualifications, right, to be president. How old do you have to be to be president? 35. Yeah, I'm there. I made it. Vote David. Uh, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, but you also, like, there's educational expectations. Like, you need to have the right pedigree. You need to be able to raise money. You need to be able to talk somewhat thoughtfully in a public atmosphere. Like, there's, there's all these different expectations of what you need to be to meet the qualifications for public office in the kingdom of the world. And the thing sometimes that we run into is to assume that because that's what's needed to qualify for public office in the kingdom of the world, that that's what you need to qualify for public office in the kingdom of God. And yet, what Jesus says and what we see throughout scripture is that it is totally flipped on its head. That if you want to be qualified for public office and to serve in the kingdom of God, you are in the right place if you are young, if you are addicted, if you are lonely, if you are uneducated and unemployed. That God says, I can work with that. God says, I think that maybe there's something that you might be able to learn. That, and I think this is a particular danger for us theologically astute folks here at Woodland Hills, right? 
Because it is so easy to run into the danger of diminishing the word of God when it shows up in our kids or when it shows up in somebody who's experiencing homelessness or it shows up in somebody whose sexual identity is different than ours or it shows up in somebody who maybe their education is different than ours or their race is different than ours. And yet what we see in scripture, if it was true then and it's true now, is that God wants to speak personally to each individual and there are no qualifications that need to be met for God to do that. And our job as followers of Jesus is to say, how can I humble myself to hear it from anybody? How can I humble myself to listen no matter where it shows up? Because Samuel's call, it showed up to somebody nobody would have expected. Showed up to this kid. And yet God reached into his life and gave him a message that not only was it incredibly important for the people of Israel, but it was incredibly hard for him to give. Because the message he had to give was to tell Eli that your time is done. Your time as priest, your time as leader in Israel is over. Like, can you imagine that moment? Like, this is the same punk kid that just woke him up three times the night before and now is having to proclaim to him, boy, yeah, it's, this is it, I guess. I, I don't know what to tell you. You've, your sons are kind of nuts and you're done. And uh, like... If, if we can't imagine receiving God in that context, the reality is we're going to miss him when he shows up. And that is the challenge, I think. So God inaugurates Samuel's ministry as prophet, as anointer of kings, and the first thing he thinks is important to teach him is how to hear his voice. And so Samuel learned slowly how to hear the voice of God as a prerequisite for walking out his calling. Which leads us back to that question I asked at the beginning, how do you hear? How do you individually hear from God? What is the landscape and the context and the backdrop within which when you are in that setting, you are more likely than not to hear from God? And so what I want to do uh, for the rest of our time this morning is give you some kind of practical ideas and tools that might help you to posture yourself in a place where you might easier be able to hear from God. And so the first of these potential tools or avenues or landscapes within which we might hear God is something that uh, Greg talks a lot about around here, which is our imagination. And it's this inner sanctuary, this place where God meets with us. And, and honestly, I have had some, I've had some incredible moments where I feel like God has spoken such profound truths to me through my imagination. I, I can remember one of them was in this room. And it was, it was before we had our, like, theater in the round here. Uh, it was back in the day when we all just looked that way. And I remember I was sitting over there, and Greg had done a sermon on the parable of the prodigal son. And it was three days after my grandma had died. And I remember sitting there, and I'm thinking about my grandma, and, and, and the image that came to my head is this woman who was so frail for so much of her life that as he was talking about the parable of the prodigal son, the image in my head was that my grandma was going to be able to run like the father ran, to be able to run into the gates of heaven. 
And as I was praying through that, the picture that started showing up in my head, even though I was hoping it would be my grandma running, was that Jesus was carrying her and was walking her through the gates to get into heaven. And I remember in that moment trying to dialogue with Jesus, I'm like, I thought she'd be able to run now. I thought her body would be put back together. And, and I can vividly remember God saying, oh, she can. But I have been waiting for so many years to hold her. I've been waiting for so many years and she'll be running, but right now I just need to hold her. Because that is what I want to do. And, I, and so I remember like just sobbing like a little baby over there on the side uh, as, as I'm just trying to let it soak in how beautiful our God is and how much he can speak to us through our imagination. And, and while I, I have had some incredibly profound experiences using my imagination and hearing from God, and, and this might be uh, heretical around, uh, around here, but my imagination is by far the least common way that I feel like I hear from God. And I know that for Greg, it is such a consistent way that he hears from God, and yet I know for me it's not. Like, more often than not, when I attempt to do imaginative prayer, what I see in my head is like, I don't know, the black night sky. And it's like, how, how is this supposed to be profound? And, and so what, what I want to say, and, and I say that only to say that I think if that does not resonate with you, if attempting to use your imagination to hear from God is not a way you connect with God, just remember, you are a unique snowflake. That God can speak to you in different kinds of ways. And so like one nuanced way that I'll use my imagination is the Jesuit practice of essentially using scripture as a landscape for our imagination. So rather than just starting from scratch and now imagine, I'll like read a story in scripture and I might even like look up that place in scripture online and like get an image in my head that feels more tangible and practical and then use that as like an on-ramp to introduce myself into the story of scripture. So if that's helpful, by all means use that. But um, the, so, so the first of the potential ways is to use our imagination and to integrate scripture if that's helpful. Uh, the, the second way that I think God often will speak to us is through music or through worship, or through the arts. Now, a couple years ago, I was preaching here in a series that we did. It was called Blended. And we were talking about, like, family histories. And we did some genogram work. And we were talking about, like, how, how we were defined by our families of origin and how that changes the way we perceive others and perceive God. And, and, and I spoke a couple times in that series, and I shared a lot about my own story. And I remember after preaching in that series, I had what uh, Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover, where you just, you, like, you get home afterwards and you think, oh boy, did I really share too much? But even deeper than that, is my brokenness too great? Is... Like, do I actually believe that what I said was true? Do I actually believe that even in my most broken places, God can show up and breathe life? And I remember it was in that moment where I'm in the midst of this doubting and questioning and my vulnerability hangover that I started listening to this song. Uh, it's called Remember. And here's what the lyrics say. 
It says, in the darkest hour, when I can't breathe, fear is on my chest, the weight of the world on me, everything is crashing down, everything that I had known, and I wonder if I'm alone. And then it says, I remember. I remember that you have always been faithful to me. I remember that even when my eyes could not see that you were there, that you were always there. And I remember this like wave rushing over me as God reinvigorated my memory with the truth that there is no distance too great for him to pass, that there is no place that I can go that he will not show up. And I think there is this incredible beauty that can come in music and worship and the arts where our spirit is able to connect with a truth that oftentimes we wouldn't when we just hear it. And so for, I, I think for many of us to take the noise of our culture and replace it with noise that might remind our soul and our spirit who God says we are can be an incredible tool and conduit to connect with God and to hear from God. So uh, first option, maybe imagination works for you. Second one, maybe it's worship, music, and the arts. Uh, the third one, which I found to be really helpful for me, and it's maybe less commonly used, but it's called a breath prayer. Now, the way that breath prayers work is that they are specific prayers that you like integrate in with your very breathing as a way to remind you about the presence of God. The, the most common one is called the Jesus prayer, where, where you will pray this, so you'll breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll breathe out, have mercy on me. You breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, and you breathe out, have mercy on me. And the goal of a breath prayer is that it would become so integrated into your mind that the very act of breathing would bring you into a sacred place with God. And oftentimes what I've found is that these breath prayers will change over time. And so probably the most common one I've used is this prayer where I breathe in, Abba. And I'll breathe out, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. And, and it's in the moments when I feel furthest away from God or I feel the most out of control that I'll be reminded that my very breath can be a sanctuary to bring me back into the presence of God. I remember a, a, an experience recently where it was probably, I think it was in October, uh, that I had one of the staff members that I supervised at, at Union Gospel Mission uh, came into my office and as she walked in, I could see in her eyes this was going to be not a normal conversation. Like there was something deeper happening, like she had just been crying or something. And so as she walks in and she sits down and she starts speaking and as she starts speaking, my, as I breathe, I can hear the words, Abba. I belong to you and I can hear the words Abba, I belong to you and as I'm listening to her and staying present to the fact that God is here by my very breath, I start hearing this word in my mind and the word is, maybe it's triage. I don't know what that meant. I just started hearing it. Maybe it's triage, maybe it's triage, maybe it's triage. And as I'm listening, uh, this, this woman is telling me about how her mom is dealing with late-stage dementia and Alzheimer's, and she's telling me about her sister who's struggling with drug addiction. And she's crying because she's saying, I need to resign because I need to go home to Iowa and I need to be with this 
family in this community. And so as she's crying, realizing that the only option she has is to walk away from this career and this ministry that she feels like is the heartbeat of what she was called to do, I, I, I just gently speak out to her the words, maybe you're being called to go there for a time of triage and then you'll come back. And as that idea got introduced to her, we both started to realize that maybe this was from God. Maybe this isn't as definitive of an endpoint as you think it is. And, and so what ended up happening is she went home and was there for a little over two months and was able to be with her family and care for her family and did realize that what she was there for was triage and then came back and has been able to re-engage in this ministry that she was called to do. And, and, and I truly believe that if I would have been walking in the world's normal, I would have missed what God might have been doing there and what I think God was doing there. And I would have just gone with the normal. Well, if somebody resigns, you say, okay, leave quickly so we can hire somebody new. But to be able to listen and say, okay, I think God has a different story he wants to tell here. So that might be a way for you to hear from God. Another potential way that uh, is helpful for me is finding intentional rhythms of stillness and silence and slowing. And for me, in those like longer experiences of solitude and silence and slowing, more often than not, I'll, I'll do some journaling when I do that because what I have found is when I'm quiet and I start writing down it doesn't take very long before the words that I'm writing all of a sudden become words I don't recognize. And that God will often speak when we will allow our minds and the world around us to silence and slow down long enough for us to hear God's voice. That it has been in these moments of silence and solitude that I have found freedom from some serious places of brokenness where I've been led into significant vocational changes, where I feel like I've gotten wisdom around really, really difficult relational issues. So maybe it is about finding a rhythm for you of silence and stillness and slowing and solitude. And then the final potential way that I want to encourage you uh, where I think God speaks, and this is probably the most common way that we see throughout uh, Christian history of how God speaks, and it's through Scripture. It's through studying the word of God. It's through looking at scripture and allowing scripture to, uh, to, to be this guide for us to catch a glimpse of the beauty and the heart of God. But I think one of the places where we miss when we allow scripture to be the place where we hear from God is when we start to think that scripture is the end of the conversation. When I think what we see is that if God's primary way of speaking to us as a personal address, then scripture should just be the beginning of the conversation. That God doesn't want to just recycle what he said to other people 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. That he wants to use that as the beginning and on-ramp for the word he wants to say to you. So we, we walk into scripture assuming that God has something new he wants to say and will maybe use that as an on-ramp to guide us. And so we allow scripture to be a conduit for God to speak a word into our life. 
And the goal of any of these ways that we hear from God, however it works for you, however you're able to hear from God, is not that we would just get a word for ourselves. that the goal is always that that word for ourselves would allow us to bring a transforming life into the world, to breathe life to those experiencing oppression, to those experiencing brokenness, to those experiencing bondage, that the word of the Lord is never just about us. That our goal should be that what we hear can then get transmitted to the rest of the world to bring healing and wholeness and joy. So, as we begin to close, I have a couple questions. And they might be annoying. And just know they were annoying to me before they're annoying to you. So my question first is, how much noise do you voluntarily subject yourself to? What effect is it having on you? What effect is it having on me? Does your schedule, does our schedule, does our time, does our life look like a person who actually wants to hear God's voice? If somebody looked at it from the outside looking in, would they say, oh gosh, they, they really are intentional about that. Do I really believe, do you really believe that God's voice is more interesting than the voices around you? Do I really believe it? So how do you hear? Is it through your imagination? Is it through scripture? Is it through a breath prayer? Is it through stillness? Is it through silence? Is it through solitude? Because how we hear can actually change the world. That if we are attentive and listening to a God who wants to speak to you, it could actually transform our community and our family and our faith and our world. Because the word of God is still active and alive today. And that word of God is not just scripture that was written 2,000 years ago. It is the actual words that Jesus wants to speak to you and wants to breathe into you. Because God is not just at a distance outside of this universe. He has walked into this place and he's done it because he is just massively, passionately in love with you. That it's not that God just wants to use you to get something done. God says, I love you. And because I love you, I want to communicate with you. And when I communicate with you, it is going to not only breathe life and wholeness into you, it's going to bring it to the world. And that is why we listen. It's why we try and tune in to the voice of God around us. And yet, like Samuel, it's going to be a learning process. There may be moments where we step out in boldness and realize, oh gosh, yeah, that was probably just tacos. Um, <laughs> and apprenticing to Jesus means being okay walking into that learning process no matter our age, no matter our education, no matter our race, no matter our background. And we walk into it because we believe that God is still here. And he still wants to move in our world. And I wonder if we become the kind of community that listens up how that might transform this area that we find ourselves in in St. Paul and Minnesota. It's exciting because we've seen it 
over the last 25 years of this church, we've seen that as people are listening to God, it can transform this community. Amen? Amen. So, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And as you stand, I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come forward. And if there's anything whatsoever that you could use prayer for, maybe it's just to, have, to sit with somebody and stand with somebody to listen with them to the voice of God and, and maybe have this opportunity to hear from God a word that he wants to personally speak to you. Uh, or if you've never been introduced to this Jesus who is still speaking today, they would love to introduce you to him. So as we close, uh, I'm going to invite you, if you're willing, just to put your hands out and receive this benediction. And now, may the God who is still speaking today breathe life into your heart, into your mind, into your emotions. May this God who still speaks today open up your ears to be able to listen to his voice. And as you listen to his voice, may this same God transform you and the world around you. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Walk out listening to Jesus. Thank you for being here. Have a great Saturday. Enjoy spring. Sunday. Sunday. Is it Saturday? <laughs> Sunday. That's when we come to church.